phone is off. Thank you so much. Well, we are so excited about Israel. Uh, there's a number of you who have already signed up to go, and if you haven't signed up yet, we invite you to do that. Now, I know some are saying, well, Pastor, when are we going to go? And that will make the decision, or make it easy for me to make a decision if I know when. And the thing is, is that we don't know. So what we need you to do is we need you to sign up, and then what we'll do is call together a meeting, and we'll find out when everybody wants to go. And I have a feeling that we may have more than one, one group of people going. Probably have a few. So by all means, sign up, and we're going to try to accommodate everybody to make sure that you get an opportunity to go to Israel. So during this summer series, Cross Church Goes to Israel, what we're doing is we're introducing you to all the places that we're going to visit when we're there. And I am really excited about this. This happens probably uh, either in late fall this year or in the new year. And uh, Glory and I are celebrating 25 years of marriage next year. And uh, so we're really, really excited about uh, being able to do that. So that's, uh, that's kind of what we want to do for our 25th anniversary. And we thought it would be great to bring the whole church with us. So, and everybody said, yeah, amen. <laughs> and I'm paying. <laughs> so we're, one of the places that we visit will be uh, Bethlehem. Now, I'm going to say this. Uh, Bethlehem is, uh, has been sort of off limits of, since about 1995, because in 1995, uh, Bethlehem was turned over to the uh, Palestinian Authority. And they are the ones now that actually run Bethlehem. So we're finding that not a lot of the tours to Israel includes Bethlehem, but that's definitely a place we want to visit. And you'll find out why in just a few moments. But let me just say this about Bethlehem. Bethlehem has got about 25,000 people. Its majority is, in fact, Muslim, but there is a large Christian community within, or Palestinian Christians within that community. And so I think it would be just so exciting if we could meet up with some of the believers right there in the city of Bethlehem. This whole summer, it's going to be places that we're going to visit. And uh, so Bethlehem is what I want to talk to you about today. uh, Bethlehem is the the birthplace of Jesse, not Jesse Duncalf, but uh, Jesse, the father of David. And in fact, in Luke, we discover that it's actually called the city of David because it's where uh, David comes from. Bethlehem is a place where Rachel is buried. Uh, Rachel is one of the matriarchs, as you may or may not know. Uh, when we go to Bethlehem, we're going to see that. We're going to see uh, we're going to see some of the some of the handiwork that the people do there. There are about three hundred craft shops right in Bethlehem, and what they do is they take olive wood and they carve it into all sorts of wonderful uh, biblical uh, characters, uh, carvings with biblical themes. It's uh, actually quite quite exciting, actually. Remember the first time uh, Marilyn Wedlake went to Israel, she brought back for me a little statue of David. Marilyn, you remember that little statue of David carrying his sheep on on his shoulders? Really quite wonderful. And you'll have an opportunity to do that as well if you come with us to Israel. What is so special about Bethlehem? Well, as you saw from the video clip, Bethlehem is a place where Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, was born. It's a place of very special significance. Uh, 
In fact, the first council of Nicaea recognized the significance of this, and they decided back in about the uh, first or second century that they wanted to go and, and actually build a, a place there for people to worship. And so we go back to about 150 A.D., and already people were meeting in Bethlehem uh, at, at the place where they believed Jesus was actually born, and it was there that they worshiped God and they praised God for the, the birth of their Savior, Jesus. Over the last 2,000 years, it's not an exaggeration to say that hundreds of millions of Christians have gone to Bethlehem, made that pilgrimage to the place where Jesus was born. The question this morning is this. Why do all these people go to Bethlehem? Why do they make that pilgrimage? Why do they spend the money? Why do they spend the time? Why is it so important? There's a church there called the, uh, uh, the Church of the Nativity. The world heritage, it's been declared a world heritage site by UNESCO. And this uh, church built probably around 600 AD, somewhere in there, is a place that you can visit to this day, a place that's uh, 50, over 1,500 years old. Amazing, actually. You can go there and you can see what literally millions and millions of believers have seen over the years. When I was there, visited there, I was quite overwhelmed with the fact that I was sharing in something that believers for 1,500 years had been experiencing and, and witnessing. In that church of the nativity, there's actually a depiction inside the church of the three magi wearing Persian clothes. And it so impressed the commander of the Muslim army that was going through there at that time, around 600 AD, that he said, this building, we're going to let it stand. We're not going to destroy it. Because he was moved by the fact that Persians had actually come to this place to worship Jesus Christ. 1,500 years later, we go to this place and we are reminded that our Savior was born there. What is so meaningful about this place? Well, I'd like us to take a look. Uh, if you could put up Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Um, look at this. This is the ancient prophecy prophesied in around 700 B.C. And it says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. 700 years before Jesus is born, there is this great prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. You'll notice that it says, whose origins are from the distant past. Now, anybody reading this would not really understand what this means, but we understand it now because we understand that Jesus Christ is not just a man, but he is actually God himself, and his, his origins are from the distant past. Hallelujah. This is a prophecy, folks, of the coming of Jesus Christ. And when the Magi, the three wise men, came to Herod to say, where is this king that, uh, that, we, uh, that we know is going to be born because we see it by the evidence of the star. How many remember the star of Bethlehem? And you me- remember the Christmas carols about a little town of Bethlehem. And the wise men arrive and they say, you know, obviously a great king is going to be born here. 
And so Herod, right away, who is the king at that time, is extremely concerned because he doesn't want anybody to usurp his position as king. And so he calls together all the scribes, and he asks them, okay, so where is this ruler going to be born? Where is the Messiah going to be born? And they know the scripture. They know this prophecy. And they said, well, in Bethlehem, of course. And so, of course, you know the story. The Magi make their way to Bethlehem to worship Jesus. Herod is so upset and so uh, angered, so incensed, so frightened, so insecure that he goes in and he has all the male babies in Bethlehem slaughtered. You remember the story, Jesus actually is whisked away by his parents, taken to Egypt actually, to be spared the wrath of Herod. The prophecy, 700 BC, 700 years before Jesus was born, the coming of the Messiah, a ruler. Fast forward 700 years and we come to Luke chapter 2 and look what it says here. It says, yes, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, I want to just set, up, set this up for you a little bit. I want to just tell you what life is like in Israel at this time. The whole country is actually under the rulership of the Romans. And from a lot of us, we don't really fully appreciate how difficult it would have been for the people of Israel. This is a foreign nation living and occupying the land of Israel, the land that God gave Israel. And so the people of Israel saw the Romans as, as in fact, blasphemers uh, and as barbarians. They were the evil set. They were the pagans. So evil were the Romans in the eyes of the Jewish people that there were all sorts of what what some might call terrorist groups that rose up. We call them zealots. They arose to try to to push the Romans out of Israel. It was a very difficult time. The Romans were cruel in their uh, treatment of the Jewish people. They, the Romans could at any time uh, conscript anyone, put anybody to work, make anybody do what they wanted to do. The Romans were... were cruel in their punishment. You've heard of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What a lot of people don't know is that, in fact, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was just one of many hundreds of thousands of crucifixions that happened. Anybody that, that tried to oppose the Roman rule, they were crucified. Their, their bodies were hung on crosses, their legs were broken, and they were left to die a cruel death as a warning to everybody, don't try to cross the Romans. The Romans set up gods in the temple in Jerusalem, further angering and enraging the people of Israel. And all this time, the people of Israel are crying out to God and saying, God, won't you please deliver us? Won't you please free us? God, it can't get any worse than this. God, where are you? God, do you still hear our prayers? Do you still care about us? At that time, the people were experiencing a a terrible taxation. They're very poor to begin with, but uh, historians estimate that at least half of their income would have gone to taxes towards the 
the 10% to the priests and 10% to the uh, temple sacrifice and 3% for the poor and then also tax to the Romans. So at least half of their income would have gone to taxes. And we think we've got it bad here in Canada. It was terrible times. Poverty, oppression, spiritual declension. It was really, really bad. And the people cried out, God, where are you? Do you care about us? The people of Israel were desperate for their Messiah. And then it happened one night. Luke chapter 2, it says that there were some shepherds in the field tending their flocks. You know the story. And all of a sudden, an angel appeared. And the angel, radiant, full of the glory of God, says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. And this is the pronouncement. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem the city of David. Folks, do you understand that this announcement is the greatest news flash, the greatest announcement in all of the history of humanity? Nothing before or since equals this. The next great announcement, my friends, this is, uh, this is for another day, but the next great announcement will be the return of Jesus Christ. But this is the, his first coming. He has come as a savior, as a Messiah. Now, I want you to know something. The people of, of Israel are sure that he's come to set up his kingdom on the earth. They think for sure that Jesus has come to expel the Romans from their land and to take rulership of Israel in the line of his forefather, David. What they don't know is that God has another agenda. And here's now what I really want and really pray this morning, is that the Spirit of God will speak to your heart. Because what was true 2,000 years ago is true today. Jesus Christ did not come to set up a political kingdom. He came, rather, to set up a spiritual kingdom. He came to set up a kingdom in our hearts. And folks, listen to me today. What it means to be a Christian is this, is that Jesus Christ is the ruler of your heart. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You have come to the place where you're saying, Jesus Christ, I acknowledge your lordship. I acknowledge that you are my savior. I acknowledge that you are my Messiah. Jesus, I acknowledge that you are to be the Lord of my life and that I'm supposed to do what you want me to do. Now, can I just say this to you today? The problem with North American Christianity is that we have forgotten that. The problem with North American Christianity is that we have forgotten that Jesus Christ has come to be our Lord. And what does that mean? It means you and I have the responsibility to respond to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and do what he says, to do what he wants, not what we want. Can I just remind everybody today, this notion of our rights and we should be able to do what we want and do it and say what we want and, and, and have it our way, this is very much a secular notion. It's a secular idea. 
For those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, we understand that to be a follower of Jesus Christ means we say, Lord, what would you have me do? When you signed up to be a Christian, you didn't sign up to be part of of some sort of an exclusive or elite club where you get to go on missions trips and have a good time all the time, although I hope you do have a good time. What you signed up for is to say, Jesus Christ, you will be the Lord of my life, and I'm going to do whatever you say. And it's interesting because if you go back and look at those early believers, the disciples, for instance, it's said that every one of them, except John, died a martyr's death. They said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God said, I want you to die for me. And they said, okay, I'll do it. Anybody here like to sign up in the foyer for, for that? Pastor, I'll go to Israel, but I don't know about the martyrship thing. I'm going to tell you something right now. We've got a real problem with Christianity in North America because we have recreated it in the way that we think it should go, in the way we think it should be. But following Jesus Christ means we come to him in full surrender and we do whatever he says we should do. If he says, says to go to the southern islands of the Philippines to do ministry, you say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And I can tell you this, that if you go to do what the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to do, you are not going to get everybody saying, hey, way to go. That's great. I'm glad you did it. You can ask Derek's mom. She was not too happy about this. She's waiting for him to get it out of his system. Well, go do your missionary thing and then get home and be normal like the rest of us. And then she found out that, uh, that Derek and Jen were not going to change. They were going to do what God wanted them to do. And if that meant staying and dying in the Philippines, that that's what they would do. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, people. It means that we go and say, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, it's interesting that in our culture, when it comes to talking about Bethlehem and about Luke chapter 2 and the angels coming, we automatically think, oh, yay, Christmas. And by the way, in case you don't know, there's 163 shopping days left till Christmas. (laughs) And uh, you can go to xmasclock.com and it'll tell you exactly how much time is left. You know, we've done everything we can, everything we can to make Christmas and the baby Jesus comfortable and easy to take, easy to swallow. But I'm going to tell you this today. If you are serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's going to mean that you are going to have to make some major changes in your life. You are going to have to surrender your life to Christ and start to do what Jesus wants you to do. Now, this is something that the people in Jesus' time didn't understand. They kept waiting. Well, when's he going to do it? When's he going to set up his kingdom? When's he going to kick the Romans out? When are the Romans going to be forced out? When are they going to be hung on the cross? It's about time that they were taught a lesson. And Jesus, no, 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 we're not, gonna, we're not hanging any Romans on any crosses. We're not crucifying anybody. Instead, Jesus, in fact, I'm going to die on the cross. Whoa, Jesus, what are you doing here? What are you doing? Jesus, 
You're not supposed to die on the cross. The Romans are supposed to die. The Romans are supposed to be punished. You should be fire from heaven. Punish the evil occupiers. And Jesus says, no, that's not what we're doing. The disciples didn't get it. It wasn't until Jesus ascended into heaven. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit fell on the early believers in the upper room that they began to understand what Jesus wanted to do. So here's what you and I need to understand today. Jesus Christ wants to rule in your heart. For those of us who have turned Christianity into a list of do's and don'ts, you you don't get it. What God wants for you and me is to come willingly to surrender to his lordship and say, yes, Lord, what would you have me do? Last week, Pat Robertson, in another... uh, stunningly ridiculous comment on air. He encouraged his viewers on the 700 Club to rise up against President Obama the way that the Egyptians have uh, risen up against their president. And it's because Obama's leadership has led America away from its moral roots. Primarily Obama's support of gay marriage, abortion, and the list goes on and on. And Pat Roberts says that what Christians should do is rise up against Obama. We need to be zealots. We need to teach America a lesson. Can I tell you something today? In North America, we have gotten things mixed up terribly. We think that what we need to do in order to change our nation, to change this continent, is to get involved politically and to storm the gates of Parliament and the White House and let them know what we stand for and what we believe in. Jesus Christ, however, did not come to set up a political kingdom. He came to set up a spiritual kingdom. He set up a kingdom in the hearts of people where we come and we yield to him and we allow Jesus Christ to lead us into what he'd have us do and have us be. We think we can make this world a better place by being hyper-political. Get the right man in office. Just get the right man in office. Just elect the right people and it'll change the world and make it a better place. Can I just remind everybody here today That the human heart is selfish and the Bible says it's sinful above all things. Did you know that? And where man is involved, where politics are involved, then sin is going to be involved. How many know that today? The day is coming, people. Now listen to me, because some of you are going to say, well, what, what can we do then? What can we do? I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. What we need in North America is for its Christians... To stop thinking that we can make the world better through political systems. What we need to do is each of us as Christians need to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and start saying, Lord Jesus, what would you have me to do? If we would leave this place today and go out of this place as people fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, I can tell you what would happen. Your marriage would improve. Your family would improve. Your finances would improve. Life would change radically for you if you surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, look at this. The angel says, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born to you today. Now, listen to me. Listen. 
Because here's what we want. We want a Savior who's going to deliver us from all our problems, make everything right. And if I ask Jesus into my heart, you know, he's going to throw me a lifeline and I'm, I'm, all my problems are going to be sorted out. That's what we want. We want, we want a, a, a Jesus in a genie jar, right? Rub the bottle and out comes Jesus and he waves his magic wands and makes everything better. And then, okay, and then we want to tuck Jesus back in the bottle again and Jesus will call you when we need you again. We'll call you when we mess things up again. We'll call you when our marriage is in, problem, is in trouble again. We'll call you, Lord, when, when we've got problems with our kids. But God, thank you for doing your thing now. Just, if you could just neatly be put away and out of, you know, just not. Don't, don't get too involved, God, in my life. Let me just live my life the way I want it to live. How many know today that, that if you're going to ask Jesus to be your Savior, you have to also ask him to be your Lord? If you want Jesus to save you and to help you through whatever it is that you're going through, folks, listen to me. He doesn't come just to be your Savior. He comes to be your Lord. Which means you've got to do what he tells you to do. You've got to start living his way. You've got to stop living your own way. Pat Robertson, I know, is anxious for the state of America. And I'm going to tell you this. It's always tempting to take things into our own, into matters into our own hands and try to solve the problems in our own way, in our own strength, in our own power. But listen to what the Bible says. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. What, what is going to make a difference, my friends, in your world and in my world, in our marriage, in our family, in our finances, in our job, is that you come in full surrender to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to be whatever you want me to be. I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'm willing to go to the Philippines. I'm willing to go to Burundi. I'm willing to go to Africa. I'm willing. I'm willing to come and serve. I'm willing to lay down my life for Jesus' sake. I remember when I became a Christian. I was eight years old, and I was very much aware of the sinfulness in my own heart. I was very much aware that I needed Jesus Christ. And I can tell you what happened when I became a Christian. It's as vivid as as if it happened yesterday. And some of you have heard me tell this a number of times. Pastor asks, does anybody want to give his heart to Jesus? And me, pick me. I want I don't know if anybody else did, but I know I did because I wanted what the preacher was talking about. He said I could be free of sin and I could be sure that I'm going to heaven. At eight years old, I knew I needed Jesus. Now, I gotta tell you, when I was eight years old, I mean uh, I hadn't committed adultery yet, <laughs> or hadn't, uh, I hadn't been a drug addict. I hadn't, been, uh, uh, I hadn't done anything wrong yet. But at eight years of age, I knew that my heart wasn't right with God. I know I needed Jesus. I needed to surrender my life to Christ. And here's what happened. I changed. That moment when I asked Jesus into my life and he became the Lord of my life, I knew it meant a change in the way that I lived. It meant a change in the, in the choices that I made, in the decisions I made. 
And I wanted to get to church. I wanted to start memorizing the Bible. I wanted to obey my parents. I wanted to please my parents. My mom's here. She'll tell you whether I did or not. I wanted to make sure that I told my friends about Jesus. And folks, I'm going to tell you, I, was, I started bringing kids to church when I was eight years old. I wanted them to come and hear about my Jesus. It was the greatest delight and thrill of my life. I wanted to do what Jesus wanted me to do. Now listen, what, what happened is this. Is that I didn't just get Jesus to come into my life to wash away my sins, my guilt, my shame, and so now I'm, you know, everything's good. What I wanted is I wanted him to be the Lord of my life. I wanted to do what he wanted me to do. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He becomes your Savior, delivering you. But he also becomes your Lord. Here's what I know for sure today. If you're here today struggling with sin, if you're here today struggling with temptation, you're here today, your marriage is in trouble, your relationships are in trouble, your family's in trouble, I can tell you that you are not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what I know for sure. If your life is in trouble today, you need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender to him and say, Lord Jesus, not only do I want you to save me from my problems, from my difficulties, my struggles, but I want you to be my Lord. I want to be set free. Friends, this is what the story of Bethlehem is all about. It's about the coming of someone by the name of Jesus Christ who would not only save us, but who would lead us and show us how to live in this life. I want to ask you the question today. What's the condition of your heart? Is your marriage in trouble? Family problems? Problems at work? You're feeling blue, depressed. You're feeling like life is, hasn't got the joy that you thought it should have. You wake up in the morning and although the sun is shining, it's, it's cloudy and overcast for you. My friends, what you need to do is you need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you just surrender him and say to him, Lord Jesus, I want you this day to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to tell you this. I am so concerned about the spiritual condition of most believers. Not just in our church, but in general. I'm so concerned about it that this fall, I want to teach you the habits that you need in order to follow Jesus, to surrender to his lordship. But it needs to begin now. You need to start praying out and crying out to God and asking the Lord Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And you need to be willing to say, God, I'm willing to, to do what you want me to do. I'd like to invite you to stand with me because I want to pray with you. Everyone's eyes closed, your heads are bowed. God, some of us today are really struggling with sin. Our lives are not where they need to be. Our hearts are not right with you. We're distant from you.
Some of us here today are we've got some really serious relational issues. Things are not good with our kids. Things are not good with our spouse. Some of us here today, Father, are struggling financially because we've made decisions that are been contrary to your will, and now we're in trouble. Some of us, Lord, are struggling with with depression, with a heaviness, with guilt and shame. But today, God, you want you want to help each one. You want to be the savior of each one. You want to save people from their sin. You want to save them from their difficulties and problems. You want to set them free. But God, we know that there's a price tag attached to that. And that means that we've got to come in full surrender to you. And we've got to say, Lord Jesus, have your way in my life. Lord Jesus, take hold of the wheel. For some of us, God has been merely a co-pilot. But God wants to be the pilot today. He wants to take charge. So right now, while our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, I'm going to just, I want to pray for you today if you need God to touch you. Would you just raise your hand and, and just say, Pastor, you got to pray for me. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. My life is not where it needs to be. And today I need to, yes, I need to surrender my life to Christ. I need the Lord to lead me. Anybody else today? Father, you have seen these hands. They've been raised to you in surrender. God, we pray right now to work by your spirit. We pray, oh God, that this would be a turning point. We pray today, God, that people would leave this place changed because they've made that decision to yield to Jesus Christ, allowing Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life. So, Father, we pray now, go with us as we go from this place. We pray, Father, that your name would be glorified in us. We pray, Father, that you be not just our Savior, but our Lord, our King. And we would be willing to do whatever you call us to do. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. And we pray that in your name. And everyone said it with me. Tell someone beside you, follow the Lord Jesus Christ.